titled the message today, The Surpassing Value of Knowing Christ. We're going to pick back up at verse 7. We kind of ended there last week talking about this. Beginning in verse 7 through verse 11. Paul says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. The surpassing value of knowing Christ. When I was a, a bread salesman a number of years ago, before I got into the, the ministry full time, I was running my route, and I would pull out about 5.15 in the morning, and I was making my rounds, hitting the schools, and I had a country route, so I was out in the country, and I was only partly through my route, it was maybe 7 o'clock in the morning, and my truck started to sputter. Not a good feeling. I had still a full day of work, and so I eased off to the side of the road, and... Um, I think I'm out of gas. And so I get down on the side and I reach up under the truck and I slap the gas tank like that and it's hollow. I'm like, I am out of gas. And uh, what happened was the gas gauge was broken and the mechanic was supposed to refill it before he put it in my slot and he didn't and I thought I had full tank of gas and I didn't. The gauge read, you know, em you know, empty because it was broken, but I thought it was full. So I had to call him, he came out, and we got gas and got going. But the point of that is that there are so many people in our world today who are running on empty because they lack the knowledge of Christ. They do not have the knowledge of Christ in their life. Running, running on empty. empty. The knowledge of God, without that of our wretchedness, creates pride. The knowledge of our wretchedness, without that of God, creates despair. The knowledge of Jesus Christ is the middle way, because in him we find both God and our wretchedness. And there's a lot of truth uh, in that. When we think about the surpassing value of knowing Christ, I'm concerned about the waste in our culture. I'm not talking about waste of garbage, although there's a lot of that. I'm talking about the waste of life. The people are throwing away their lives for that which is worthless and does not matter for eternity. They're wasting their lives by spending things on their lives that don't really matter. 
Many people come through the doors of a church today and have little, a little religion and no relationship with God. They're religious, but they're not righteous. And we talked about this last week. I had the privilege of going over to Freedom Works this week and, and the privilege of talking to over 60 men that they have in residence right now. That's our post-prison ministry. They were here last month. And to be able to share with them about the knowledge of Christ and how vital it is. It's a protection in our lives. It's an opportunity to build our lives on a solid foundation that will take us through the storms of life. Unfortunately, in our day, many people are abandoning the knowledge of Christ. Even pastors today don't even want to preach the Word of God. And we have to come back to the Word of God. Here's the beautiful part. Well, I thought I had it on the slide. Oh, there it is. It's a little smaller than I thought it would be. Let me read it to you. Knowing Christ will enable me to experience the life-changing power of Christ. Let me say that again. Knowing Christ will enable me to experience the life-changing power of Christ. How do we do that? Well, we do that by relinquishing confidence in the flesh by pursuing the knowledge of Christ. Last week, we talked about the idea of the description of misplaced values, and we looked at that in Paul. And I'm just going to mention it briefly, but if you go back to chapter 3 earlier, uh, beginning in verse 4, uh, he talks about not putting confidence in the flesh. He talked about his ancestry, his family, his upbringing. Some people think if they're born in the right family, they're related to the right people, they keep the, the, the commandments. And then also his achievements. He had spent 15 years at the feet of Gamaliel. He would have had a couple doctorates in law. He was significant. If Paul talked, people listened. He was successful in bringing damage to the church. His image was important to him. He wanted people to see him as an impressive, powerful person. But we want to be clear, Paul was not rejecting his ancestry. His family, I think, was important to him. I think the fact that he was circumcised as a Jew following the Jewish law, I think the fact that he knew the Jewish law was important, but here was the important thing. It wasn't those things. He said it was his confidence in those things. If you put confidence in the law, if you put confidence in the things that you do, you will come up short. He's saying our confidence has to be in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So here are three components to experiencing the life-changing power of Christ that we need to constantly do in our lives. Three components to experiencing the life-changing power of Christ. The first one is we need to consider our spiritual condition this is what Paul did. Notice what he says in verse 7. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He's saying the things that I thought were of value, all those things, circumcision. Yeah, that was something they were to do to be God's covenant people. But he says circumcision apart from faith in Christ is meaningless. All the works that he did apart from faith in Christ were meaningless. So he's looking at his spiritual condition 
How do we do that? First of all, by remembering our condition at birth. What was our condition at birth? This is so important. We are conceived in sin. It's important for people to realize that because so many people say, well, they're good people, but we are conceived in sin. The Bible tells us in Psalm 51.5, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And because you and I were sinful at birth, we were born separated from God. Colossians 1.21, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. And because we were born separated from God, because we were born conceived in sin, we were born spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. As for you, he writes in Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So we need to remember our condition at birth that we are born separated from God, spiritually dead, sinful at birth. Secondly, we consider our spiritual condition also by acknowledging our spiritual poverty. Our spiritual poverty. We cannot do this without looking at our life through the lens of Scripture. Matthew 5.3 says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And when he talks about poverty of spirit, he's talking about someone who is so poor, they don't have a job, they don't have an income, they have no food in the, in the closet, cupboard, they have no clothes in the closet, they have no house even to go to. They are absolutely destitute of everything. And that's what Paul is saying spiritually. We are destitute of everything. The only way a person will survive is by means of giving. And it was Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. That's the only way we can overcome the spiritual poverty. I don't overcome it by doing good things, by becoming a good person. The opposite of it would be to justify your behavior, to declare your own goodness. In light of our spiritual condition at birth and our spiritual poverty, that's the remedy. Here's the remedy for change. The first thing we have to do for the remedy for change is to renounce our former way of life. Renounce our former way of life. And that's what Paul did. He said, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. I'm renouncing the former way of life, the things that I trusted in. My confidence in the flesh, I renounce altogether. I think of the rich young ruler who was hiding behind his good deeds. And he asked Jesus what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus started quoting the commandments. And he said, well, I've kept all those from my youth. And he was feeling really good. His chest puffed out. And hey, I'm doing that. I'm doing good. And Jesus said, go sell all that you have and give to the poor. In other words, you don't have anything. But he walked away from Jesus with sorrow, not over his sinfulness, but over the idea of having to give up his wealth. So we need to take inventory of everything in our heart. What is it really worth? If you go into bookstores today, you will see self-help books line the shelves. The other thing you will see is when you look at college education, 
the thing that people will pursue more than religion today is psychology because people are into self-help. They're into studying themselves instead of studying the word of God and the knowledge of God and the truth of God. Life will eventually trash your trophies. I think of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 who wasted his life. He lived for pleasure, for self-fulfillment. He longed to be happy and he believed the path to happiness. But as he got to a foreign country, it says after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country and he began to be in need. And that is the key for people turning and understand their spiritual poverty is when they began to be in need. This need causes him to become desperate and his desperation opens his heart to other possibilities. In Luke 15, it says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger. When he came to his senses, What did he do? He renounced his former way of life and he secondly repented of his sin. That's the next thing we need to do. We need to repent of our sin. Luke 15, 20 says this, and he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. He repented of his sin. He took personal responsibility of his spiritual condition and his spiritual poverty. And the one thing that is missing in churches today is the whole idea of repentance of our spiritual poverty. Michael Cott, some of you will recognize that name. He's the pastor of Sherwood Baptist Church, the Kendrick brothers who made the films. He wrote a book called The Power of Surrender, And in that book, he talks about repentance, and he said, repentance must come in the pews before we can expect to see it in the people of the world. Some of the key movements of our age are leading us down the broad road toward the cliff of certain destruction. Whether it's the late Norman Vincent Peale's positive thinking or Robert Shuler's emphasis on self-esteem, today's self-help theology is foreign to the scriptures and to repentance. Vance Havner, who is now in heaven, was a faithful evangelist. He got up to preach one morning at a conference, and he said when he got up that morning, he read a little from the Apostle Paul, and then he read a little from Norman Vincent Peale. And personally, he said, I find Paul appealing and Peale appalling. (laughs) And I thought, how true that is. So many people have the self-help, self-motivation, self-confidence, and they've got all the stickers and they've got all the posters. And, but apart from faith in Jesus Christ, it's vanity. We fall short. Today, Havner would be rebuked for being negative. Michael Cott went on to say, truthfully, you have to be negative to get to the positive. You can't talk about sin indifference, idolatry, materialism, and carnality, and apathy in a positive light. But that's where much of the church is today. And we need to repent. Like Paul, when we realize that there is nothing to our profit, we consider everything a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. 
And he goes on to say, what is more, I consider everything, not even the things I just listed, but everything as a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. I consider them garbage. I consider them excrement. I consider them a waste apart from knowing Christ. There was not only a renouncement of Paul's former life and a repentance of his sin, but I think there was also remorse over his past actions, over having Christians killed and the things that he did and hauled off into prison. You see, when we get right with God, when we realize, when we look into Scripture and we see the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, we cannot know the greatness of knowing Christ apart from a personal knowledge of our sin before a holy God. We cannot. The people we've hurt, the sinful things we have done, the remorse over breaking God's law, the regret over lost time, wasted years of living in sin. When we look at our culture and we see the number of people that have addictions and struggles, what, what, what causes someone to pursue an addiction, for instance? I think it's this. It's an emptiness of their life because they don't know Jesus. See, addiction is really idolatry. It's idolatry. Because idolatry is when we put something else in the place of God. And when someone puts a drug, an alcohol, something else, sex, whatever you want to call it, in the place of God, that's idolatry. And they don't know the knowledge of God. And so now they have this bondage and only Jesus Christ can set them free. But when we come to the knowledge of the truth, you can be set free from that addiction. You can know the power of Christ in your life. That's the beautiful part. That's the wonderful part, talking to the guys at Freedom Works or wherever we're at. The message doesn't change. It changes people's lives. The second component we want to look at is not only looking at our past life and seeing our poverty, but confidence in the work of Christ. Notice what he says in verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Paul's saying on judgment day, I'm not banking on my righteousness and what I have done. I'm banking on what Jesus Christ did for me and my faith and trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's my only hope. He tells us in Colossians 1.22, I thought I had that on there. There it is. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach. Reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death on the cross to present us holy and blameless 
Our faith and trust and hope is in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Paul was consumed with that. In Philippians chapter 1, he's in chains for Christ. He says to live is Christ. Paul longs for Christ to be exalted in his body. He desires to depart and be with Christ. He encourages the Philippians to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says we are given the privilege to suffer on behalf of Christ. In Philippians 2, he says we're united with Christ. In Philippians 3, he says we want to know Christ, to gain Christ, to have faith in Christ, to fellowship with Christ, to become like Christ. Christ is the one. And he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What work is Christ doing in your heart right now? The one work that he wants to do is the work of growing our faith. Growing our faith in him. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. To be found in him, the righteousness of Christ. And here's what he says in Romans 3.21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Notice, it is apart from the law. It is apart from you and I doing things in the flesh. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. It is in Christ and Christ alone. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. The third component we want to look at is not only confidence in Christ and considering our spiritual poverty, but the consuming passion to know Christ. Paul knew Christ as his Savior. Billy Graham said, the cross shows the depth of Jesus' love and the resurrection shows the depth of Jesus' power. Jesus was Paul's friend. He should be our best friend as well. How do we come to know Christ? Experientially. Here's what he says in verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. To know him as our savior, but also to know him as our shepherd. Paul knew Christ as his shepherd as well. His protector. If you go back to Philippians chapter 1 for a moment in verse 19, he says, I know that through your prayers and the help given by the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Notice the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. God will provide our needs according to his riches in glory. He is our protector. He protected Paul in prison. What protection do you need? You need protection over your children when they go to school every day. There was just a school shooting this week. We pray for protection over our kids. We pray for protection over their minds. 
their hearts, that God would protect them. In Psalm 18, too, he says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He is our protector. He is also our provider. He provides for all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Maybe today you're discouraged because you've been getting a lot of mail and those mails contain bills. You have financial needs. Perhaps you have bills that are mounting, but the Bible says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Do you bring that financial need, lay that bill out before the Lord and say, God, here is my need. But here's the thing. Make sure you are faithful and you're giving to the Lord. Because if you're not faithful in giving to the Lord, then he may not meet your need. Because our giving prompts his giving. And we are to be faithful stewards of what God has entrusted to us, faithful givers to the work of God. But God will provide those needs. I remember when I was in college, and the funds were getting low. And I remember getting a small check in the mail at just the right time. That's the faithfulness of God in providing our needs. That's learning to know Christ experientially as our shepherd. There's also provision of strength for painful trials. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Maybe you have internal battles going on right now in your mind and in your heart. Temptations, urges to abandon your faith. God says, I will give you strength for those painful trials. I will help you. I remember too when I was in the bread business and I took off early one morning, and I was, uh, this, at this point I was a swing driver riding different routes. And I was going down the road, and, and in the back, and I think I've shared this with you many years ago, but there's uh, metal, little metal gates that would hold the bread trays in, and one of them wasn't all the way latched. And I started down a steep hill, and I hit the brakes, and all those trays came flying out, hit the windshield, went through the windshield and took the windshield right out into the street. And I'm sitting there with bread from floor to ceiling. Not a good feeling. Not wanting to sing, this is the day the Lord has made, we will rejoice and be glad in it. But I sat there, I said, God, I need your help. It was not a good feeling. I need your help. I got out and I started picking up the bread. This guy comes by and asked me if I had change for a dollar. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I look. I don't think I did. He's like, man, you got a mess here. I said, yeah, I do. But anyhow, and we could say as fate would have it or as the Lord would have it. And I think it was as the Lord would have it. This man comes by in a car and he stops 
And he couldn't hardly talk right. He had a speech impediment, but I understood. He's like, do you need a ride? Well, I needed a ride back to the store to call the office. Didn't have cell phones in those days. I'm old. Didn't have cell phones. Go back to the store to call. He waits for me, and he takes me back to my truck. So he not only took me to the store, he waited for me, took me back. But here was the thing. When he was taking me, I noticed something about his driving He had hand controls to drive. He had no use of his legs. And I thought I had a problem. My problem became very minuscule at that moment. But it was not only that, it was the provision of God. And that's what I mean by that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Jesus wants to be involved in our everyday painful struggles you say my kids are driving me up a tree you know what pray with your kids pray for your kids God wants to help you Paul had a thorn in the flesh and he said my grace is sufficient for you in that painful trial God's strength is made perfect in our weakness And I know for our farmers, it has been a very, very challenging year. Broken equipment, stuck equipment, poor harvest, poor conditions. You can pour out your heart to the Lord. He will provide what you need for today. You say, but I don't know how it's going to turn out. But you know the God who is around the bend. You know the God who is around the bend. Ephesians 3.16 says this, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Notice, he will grant you to be strengthened with power. When we know Jesus Christ, we have a power for living that only he can provide. Our kids are 1,500 miles away from us. The only power I have is the power of prayer. That God will work in their lives. And it's the only power you have as well. He says, now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. That's the power that we have in Jesus Christ. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Chuck Colson, many of you remember Chuck Colson. He said, the great paradox of life is that every time I walk into a prison and see the faces of men or women who have been transformed by the power of the living God, I realize that the thing God has chosen to use in my life is none of the successes Achievements, degrees, awards, honors, or cases I have won before the Supreme Court. That's not what God's using in my life. What God is using in my life to touch the lives of literally thousands of other people is the fact that I was a convict and I went to prison. That was my great defeat. The only thing in my life I did not succeed in. Tim Keller offers the following definition for what Jesus meant by being poor in spirit. 
And that's what Chuck Colson felt. It means seeing that you are deeply in debt before God and you have no ability to even begin to redeem yourself. God's free generosity to you at infinite cost to him was the only thing that saved you. And that is true. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. What are you putting your confidence in today? Is it in the knowledge of Christ? Do you have a consuming passion to know him? And how is that being lived out in your life? Have you recognized the provision of Christ, the protection of Christ in your life, the guidance of Christ? I have seen God provide over and over in our lives, and you have too. What about your spiritual condition before the Lord? Have you recognized your sinfulness at birth? You're separated from God, that you're dead in your sin apart from Jesus Christ. The surpassing value of knowing Christ. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.